Thank you, Bree. Yeah, you can you hand that to Reagan. Yeah, that's, uh, man, Jesus, huh? Jesus on justice. A little different than what I've been reading online and social media. And, you know, it's, it's, I've, in many ways, I'm really, I think it's a, a ripe, kind of pregnant moment we're living in right now where the world is crying out for justice. The world is saying, okay, there's stuff going on that's not right. What are we going to do about it? But the rub is that it's so hard to figure out what's just and what's not just and what we're supposed to do about it, what we're not supposed to do about it, and that's, you know, it gets really complicated. I was struck by this this morning. How many of you have followed the news, the big Manhattan news of the last week? I was talking to Matt about this yesterday, about the two alligators that were stolen. Yeah, so Reptile World had a break-in a few days ago. And they had two alligators that were out, actually not a break-in, but they were outside their store. Someone stole the two alligators. And so it was in the news, man, help us find these alligators. They're somewhere. And then a couple of days later, one was seen in Wildcat Creek near the Linear Trail. And so it's been, you know, in the news. And where are they? That Yesterday they tried to find them. Um, the, the animal people, or whatever they're called, went out. But they didn't catch it. They didn't catch either of them. So this morning... And so, and just to back up a little bit, my, my view of the situation was a little bit influenced by the fact that a couple months ago, a few months ago, I was in Home Depot and struck up a conversation with the guy next to me looking for something, and he was the owner of Reptile World. And I, I've never really gotten the reptile thing, personally, <laughs> so it's just me. So I was, but I was talking to him, and it was really intriguing, because he was selling me on, man, these reptiles, are, they're better than dogs, and actually... As a proud owner of two puppies, it wasn't hard to convince me that that could be the case right now. But he's like, they're smarter than dogs, they're more loyal, they're more friendly. Yeah, he went on and on and on. He's got, you know, a trillion snakes, and they all know they're more intelligent than you are. I mean, he just went on and on about these, these reptiles. So, but I had a personal connection with the owner of Reptile World. So this morning, get the paper and front page news. One of the alligators, a female reptile, a female alligator was found dead yesterday. And so I grabbed the papers, actually on my way out, I went inside, I gave, it, I gave Reagan the paper, I was like, hey, they found one of the alligators that was dead. And she said, good. <laughs> and I thought, wow, we have a very different take on what's just in this situation. Your take on justice is that there's a vicious alligator on the loose, we need to be careful, and it's dead, so it's out of the way. Justice has been served. My take is, man, this person who I know had his beloved pet stolen from him, and one is still missing, and one is now dead. So it's very unjust for that reason. And so same situation, very different take. And that's how we are. You know, we're looking at the world, we're looking at situations. We all have a take, but... The beauty of it all is we need, we need God, and Jesus brings God's perspective on, on what is really just. There are usually elements of truth in the different perspectives that all of us have, right? There are elements of truth in Reagan's perspective. There are elements of truth in my perspective. But there are places where our, our prejudices and our personalities and our, our past experiences uh, tainted our view as well. And so Jesus provides us a different perspective that's, that's beyond, really so far beyond. I mean, this Sermon on the Mount 
it, and we talked about it a couple weeks ago, so the whole blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, it goes beyond the way we would naturally think and calls us up to the higher way of living that God has for us. Um, so I just want to um, go through like four kind of takeaways from the passage that Bree read, and I uh, hope you were listening. I know you all were, but I'll kind of reference it back. But I'm just going to talk about the takeaways from, from what Jesus was teaching there in Matthew 5 about, about justice. And again, we're looking at the radically upside-down way that God's kingdom operates, radically different from the way we tend to think. Um, the first takeaway is that God's expectations for us are not expired. They're not, God has expectations for us, and they haven't changed. They haven't expired. We kind of think of God's expectations, especially what Jesus is talking about here in the Old Testament. He talks about the law and the prophets. That's code for Old Testament. And we, a lot of times we think of those as like expired milk. We're like, okay, that was good at one point, but it's been there too long, and oh, now we have a negative reaction to God's laws from the Old Testament. A lot of times we have this idea that, that God has changed. That the God we, we read about in the Old Testament is different than Jesus in the New Testament. But actually, that's not true. Actually, what has changed is not God, but us. It's people from the Old Testament to the New Testament can be different. But God has always been just. God has always been holy. God has always been righteous. And God has always been gracious merciful, kind, loving, and true. And we see that all throughout history, all throughout the scripture. But what's different between the Old Testament and the New Testament is that we have the ability to have God's laws, not just externally, as like, this is what you're supposed to do, but we can't do it, but we can have God's laws written on our hearts, and God changes from the inside out so that we desire to live for God. And so God's expectations are not expired. Jesus in in verse 17, at the very beginning, he, he, start, he says, Now you have heard this said, but I, for truly I say to you. And Jesus spoke like nobody else had ever spoken before. At the end of this, this message, it says that the religious leaders marveled at his teaching because he spoke as one who had authority. Jesus, he didn't go on anybody else's authority, but he says, hey, I say to you. And that, was, that, the, that embodied the idea that he actually was God. He was using the I am sort of language, that my authority is, comes from who I am. And so God's standards have, have never changed. And so we, you know, it's important because we're trying to navigate, like, what's right, what's wrong, how do we go through this? And we need, we need an objective standard of morality. We need an objective standard of right and wrong beyond ourself. And that's what God's commandments are. That's why we talk about God's commandments. We're talking about the Ten Commandments. We're talking about the other commandments of, of Scripture. God's commandments are true. And it's interesting, when you look at the Ten Commandments, which, it's interesting, they were written in stone. That's a pretty good, like, symbol that there's something pretty permanent, written in stone by the, by from the finger of God. It's things like, do not kill, do not steal, don't commit adultery, um, don't carry God's name in vain. That's interesting, we think that that means, like, don't use God's name as a cuss word, but it's really much deeper than that. It means when you claim to be a follower of God, you carry his name. And so it's like, don't, don't claim his name if you're living in a way that doesn't represent him as an image bearer. Um, what else? Uh, don't steal, don't kill, 
Um, it's interesting, the last one is don't covet. And so it's kind of a hint that all of these was what we're going to look at in our next point, so I'll, I'll hold off on that. But we need God's objective standards. And some of you are like, well, yeah, I mean, this is, why are you wasting time on this? This is obvious. But it's, this is something really contested in the world today. Contested both in the church and outside the church. There, it's really debated. It's like, oh, are God's standards still true? Can we, are we supposed to live according to these? Um, there's, a, there's a mistrust of God's authority. There's a mistrust of Scripture. And as I said, I said, this even happens in what's considered the church world, or even considered Christianity. A couple of years ago, on September 5th, 2018, Union Theological Seminary, which is an old seminary, I think, in New York, it's on the East Coast, posted a Twitter thread in response to what had come out called the Statement on Social Justice and the Gospel. So this was a statement on evangelical um, Christian leaders saying, okay, this is what social justice is, this is what the gospel is, how do they fit together? And Union Theological Seminary tweeted, first thing they, they tweeted was, we deny the Bible as inerrant or infallible. We deny that the Bible is trustworthy and true, basically is what they're saying. I'm like, wait, this is a seminary. Isn't that what seminaries are supposed to like, do the opposite of? But no, that, oftentimes that's not the case. Why is that? Because it reflects both God's truth and human sin and prejudice. And so there's that idea that this seminary is promoting that, well, Scripture, it has, it has some of God's truth, but also it was written by men, and so it reflects human prejudice and human sin. And so we can't trust everything in Scripture. And so what, what's the logical question that that brings up? Which is which? Which is which, right. Yeah, how do you know which is which? And, good question, right? And then, so who determines which is which? Um, they, they, their answer to that was, well, biblical scholarship and critical theory help us to discern which messages are God's. Um, to go on into that. But the problem is, if we reject God's word as unchanging and true, then we, became, we become God. We become the ones that have to determine what's right and wrong. All the way back to the temptation of Adam and Eve in the garden. As you will determine what is, what is good and evil. It's the sense of like we will become like God. And so that's always been, we, want, we don't want to submit ourselves. We don't want to yield to God's position as king. There's something in us that wants to say, oh, this is good, but not that. We want to pick and choose what we like. But God's expectations are not expired. Um, this happens in the church world. It happens, obviously, in our culture all the time. A couple years ago, three years ago, there was some political protesting going on. And a member of one activist group saw another person who was a supporter of a certain political figure who you would recognize if I said his name. And the first guy came up to the second guy. Make sure I get this right. Oh, yeah. And he hit him in the head with a bike lock. Not because of anything he had done, but because he was a supporter of this certain political person. Now that's, that's, that's sad, but what's really sad is that the dude who took the bike lock and hit the guy in the head had taught ethics at a university. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? 
We got all the like ethical experts teaching like, yeah, this is how things should be. But it's pretty obvious when you see a lot of people living that out, like, wait, there's something jacked up about that. There's something that doesn't work. God's expectations are not expired. We need, we need his truth. And so that's what Jesus says. He says, hey, I haven't come to abolish the law. I haven't come to abolish God's commandments. They're still true. As we're assessing what's going on in our culture, there's certain non-negotiable truths. Murder is always wrong. Coveting is always wrong. Stealing is always wrong. It doesn't, there are not justifications for these actions in any, for any reason. And so those are the standards. And, and there's a lot of stuff being promoted. It's like, well, this is, because this is wrong, we have a right to do this. Or, but no, we have to back up and say, wait, no, God's standards. Those are what's true, and that's what he calls us up to. And so the question for us is, are, are my standards God's standards? Am I aligning my life with his commands, or am I tweaking them or changing them? Am I valuing what he values about? You look at the, the prophets. So much of that, it was about faithful. The, the law and prophets were all about faithfulness to Yahweh, faithfulness to God, saying, God, you are God above all gods, and we are coming into a covenant relationship with you. And then his values would become the values of his people. And things like caring for the poor and the oppressed and the foreigner and exercising justice, those would be the things that his people took on because they, they, uh, their allegiance was to Yahweh. It's interesting, did you catch at the end of Jesus, that first section, Jesus said, okay, I, I didn't come to abolish the law but to fulfill it. And then he said, Hey, unless you're righteous, and he said, no, not one iota, not one like dot on your eye of, of God's scripture, of the law and prophets will disappear until everything is fulfilled, until heaven and earth pass away. And then he said, and hey, I'm telling you, your righteousness, unless you are more righteous than the religious leaders, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. It's like, wow, that's kind of scary. Like, those are the, the experts. They're the ones that are teaching the law. They're the ones that are supposed, to, are supposed to know them better than everybody else. And you're saying, if our righteousness doesn't surpass theirs, we don't have a place in God's kingdom? And it, so the obvious, we might come to the conclusion, like, well, that means we need to, like, to obey God's law better, more, more thoroughly than those religious teachers. And that's kind of true, but not really. Because... He says, your righteousness has a surpass. It's that God is bringing his righteousness to us, not in our ability to obey it, but his ability to change us from the inside. That when Jesus came, when he died on the cross and was resurrected, that he took those laws that were external to us, and for every person who turns from their sin and places their faith and their loyalty towards Jesus, he takes those laws and he puts them in our heart. And therefore, our righteousness comes from the inside. And because of that, every believer has righteousness that should surpass that of the Pharisees and the scribes. And so the second, second takeaway from what Jesus is saying here is that we need inner transformation. We can't live this way just by willpower, just by trying to be good at being good. That doesn't work. We need the grace of God to come to us and change us on the inside out. And so that's, an, that's essential, that in our whole culture's discussion about, man, how do we react to injustice? I'm so glad that discussion and conversation is happening. It's, it's so needed. 
But it's essential that the message is coming in the midst of that is, hey, for us to be called up to this, we need the grace of God to change us on the inside. Because the problem is not just out there. The problem is in here. The problem is in our human heart. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a, a prisoner of war in, in the Soviet Union um, when Stalin was the, the leader there. Um, you may not know this, but there were twice as many people killed, two, probably three times as many people killed during Stalin's regime as by Hitler. Um, probably like 30 million people were, were unjustly killed. Um, political prisoners, this is brutal. But Alexander Solzhenitsyn was as a prisoner and uh, just a prolific, a profound writer came out of those experiences. And as he's witnessing human nature and his experiences, he said this, he said, gradually it was disclosed to me that the line separating good and evil passes not through states or not through nations or governments, nor between classes, as in like this class is good and this class is bad, nor, be nor between political parties either, like this political party is good, this political party is bad, but the line between good and evil passes right through every human heart. Now that is the reality, that we all start off evil, and there is evil in every one of us. And the, the, where that battle is waged is within each, each human heart. Um, Jesus, as he's talking this passage, I mean, it's, it's some of the most, like, scary stuff in the Bible, really, because he's saying, he's, he's talking the whole stuff about lust, right? Like, hey, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, and you think you're doing pretty good. But I say, if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. Like, oh, Man, and then he says, if your eye causes you to, to stumble, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to lose an eye or a hand than to deal with hell for a really long time. You know, that's like, oh, gee, I thought Jesus was nicer than this. Like, this is, man, he's, wow, okay, injustice. It's like right here in every one of us. Probably just as challenging is what he says about how we treat one another. Did you catch that? He said, hey, if you, if you say raka to your brother, raka was a term of contempt. And it's the, 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 the importance here is the idea of judging someone with contempt in your heart. He said, then you're, you're guilty. And you're guilty before the council. So the idea of the council was the, the Sanhedrin, the religious body of 70 or 72 religious leaders of the people, and you would, you would be tried before them for blasphemy. And so Jesus is saying, hey, if you have hatred in your heart towards your brother, or you say, you, you fool, you idiot, with contempt or hatred, there, he's not saying that, you're, you actually, like, that you need to be shipped off to Jerusalem and uh, have court, because that would be too many people to do that. But he's saying there is a heavenly court that this court represents. And you will answer for that. And again, he brings up the whole hell thing in this situation. That there are very, very real consequences for the hatred and contempt in our heart. Um, yeah. So, we need inner transformation, right? Like, we, we all, like, I don't want to talk about injustice so much. When I start thinking about this. I start thinking about, like, oh, man, it's, it's in me. That's the place where, where it needs to start. 
We need inner transformation. Um, then he goes on, third takeaway. Jesus talks about be reconciled with actual people. Be reconciled with actual people. Yeah, I like that picture. You know, you're like, yeah, I like the idea of reconciliation. Until, except for with that person. Like, I don't really want a hug from them. I'm not really feeling it. And so, on one level, it's, it's easier for us to think about social reconciliation and justice between black and white and oppressed and privileged and all that. Like, man, those conversations need to be had. But really where it happens is one-on-one. And that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, hey, you're my follower. You're going to the temple to bring your sacrifice. And you remember that there's somebody who you think might have something against you. There's a relationship with somebody that's not in a great place. What does he say? He says, drop your offering. Stop doing your religious stuff. Go find that person. Be reconciled to your brother. Be reconciled to your sister. This is basic Christian living. Like it's, it should be as basic to us as like if you're a Christian, you read your Bible, you pray, you go to church, you give, and you don't allow anything unreconciled in your relationships with other people. It's just like basic Christianity, but it is so radical. And it's easy for us to be like, yeah, man, I want like social justice. But it comes down to, well, how am I doing with the actual people in my life? How are those relationships doing? I, how, like, it starts in my household. It starts with my roommates. It starts with members of our church. It starts with my coworkers. It starts with the people I know. How do we see reconciliation happen? It's one by one by one in those relationships. This is where you say, oh me or oh my. That's like, man. But reconciliation happens like this. Uh, One of the places that's been really cool in our nation is in Camden, New Jersey. In 2013, they had one of the worst crime rates in America. The murder rate was four times worse in Chicago. So out of control, out of control issues, tons of animosity between policemen and women and a lot of the citizens. And something radical happened. The, the city commission actually, um, they, 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 de- they basically f- disbanded the police force. So kind of like the whole discussion about defunding police, they did that. Like they, they said, we're not going to, we're going dis- to, we're going to end the police force. But then they, that was in the city, but then they, they replaced it immediately with a county police force. And it was, um, they had, had to deal with the union. There were some things that the union just had, was doing what was right, what was seeking the, the advantage of the policemen and not the community. And so they started over, and the police force kind of went back to the olden days where they were like, we're not going to be just like law and order enforcement. We're going to be close in the community. We're going to be on the streets, walking the streets every day, talking to people, building goodwill, doing everything we can to foster a relationship to know the people. We're, we're going to work with churches. We're going to work with community organizations. We're going to have conversations. And they had a totally different approach. And 
the crime rate has dramatically decreased and the relationship between a lot of the community and the police has totally changed. To where when they had their protest last week, it, was, it wasn't like fake, it was just natural for the policemen and women to be walking in those protests with um, especially the African American community there because that was already, already happening. And that's really how reconciliation happens. It's, it's one person at a time. Um, so it's, it's be reconciled with actual people. Um, and then the fourth takeaway, right along these lines, Jesus ends it with this. He says, love your enemies. Be reconciled with actual people. And just in case you didn't follow me, I'm not just talking about nice people, but your enemies. And I'm not just talking about, like, I'm talking about love them. Okay, this is why Jesus is so stands above everybody else. Nobody else thought of this before Jesus. He said, hey, love your enemies. You know those Roman soldiers that are tyrannical? And they, by Roman law, they have a right to tell you to carry their bags for a mile? Well, when that happens, do it. And then say, can I go another mile for you? And go another mile. Someone hits you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. He said, hey, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbors, love your friends, but I say love your enemies. And so I think about that, like who, who are your enemies? Who are my enemies? I thought, I was thinking about this yesterday, I was like, you know, there are a couple people that, you know, it was into the people that, that came to mind, uh, well, the first situation, well, I'll tell you the ugly situation first. I thought there are a couple, I, actually they didn't come to mind. And then like some things happened yesterday, and there were a couple other churches and other pastors that I realized I had a little bit of like, ugh, towards. Like, I've got a really good relationship with pastors and churches in Manhattan. But there were some things that came up here that so I was like, you know, I don't really like that about them. And I realized, you know, right now, like, they're my enemy in my heart. Like, they're the person that I have to choose to forgive and to think about. Do I need to have a conversation with them? And, okay, right now, I, I chose. Like, God, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray your blessing on them and their church. And, God, what do you want to do in this situation? I had a cool thing happen a couple, couple weeks ago. Uh, we talked about the group in Manhattan, the Mutual Aid MHK, that's um, in the whole recent, um, especially as a response to COVID-19, has been connecting needs in our community um, with people's gifts and resources and whether it's fixing lawnmowers or cars or offering giving money and so some of us partnered with that and I through someone I knew um, I was invited to get to know those people and actually to be part of their fundraising group and so I had a I was on a couple zoom calls with with this group of people and I realized you know this is a very um, it's a different group than who I'm normally interacting with on a day-to-day -day basis it's, and the more I got into it, I realized, you know, a lot of these values, they're, they're not the same as mine. They don't have the same views on, on sexuality. They don't, I actually realized that the whole mutual aid movement, it has uh, like social, more like Marxist roots and like very, like some things that I didn't really agree with. And so, but I was getting to know these people and I love their passion. I love their passion to make a difference and their commitment, and how much they were just trying to, trying to make a difference in the world. 
And so I was just really wrestling with, man, what should I do? Like, can I raise money for this organization? I had, and so it, we, we had a conversation about our values. And I came to the point where um, Reagan and I gave a little bit of money, but I told them, hey, you know, I just think our values are not close enough where I'm going to be in a place where I can be, like, really going out and helping fundraise for you. Um, so so that, that's that. Um, but I would love, I talked to the one guy who's kind of one of the ringleaders, said, man, I really enjoy, I love your passion, I would love to sit down over coffee after this thing slows down and, like, just talk more about these issues and just keep building a relationship. And, and I told him, hey, I'm, my grid is I'm a follower of Jesus. And so that's where my values come from. I'm trying to filter everything through that. And I thought, good chance he's going to blow me off. That'll be the end of that. And about a day later, he replied and was like, hey, thanks so much. I appreciate you processing through the values. It's really helped us wrestle through like our values too. And I appreciate your just integrity about this. And yes, let's, let's get together and talk more. I, would love, I think we have a lot to learn from each other. And it was just such a cool like, relationship that's forming with people that would tend to be um, different than us. So I, I learned a new, new word to this whole thing. You guys may already know this, um, but there was a whole like, talk on the values of like, the things we're against, of course, racism, sexism, um, but then like ageism. Then there are a couple I was, uh, ableism, I don't think I'd ever heard that before. That's like discrimination towards people that are, that are handicapped. And then my favorite though was, um, we're against the heteropatriarchy. Heteropatriarchy. I, was, I had to really think about that. I was like, and I realized, oh, that's me. <laughs> like, that's like, that's, I think that's basically like, that's kind of, in my mind, that's what we're celebrating next Sunday, Father's Day. It's like the place of, of fathers to be important leaders in, in society. And you know, that's, obviously, I think there, there, are, there, are, uh, there are evils that have come across through, through fathers and males in positions of power. But it, I kind of thought that was funny. So, all right. Love your enemies. Um, yeah. We're going to do a little different right now. We're going to take a break now. And we just want to give space for, for each of us to, to think about this. Think about Jesus on injustice. Jesus on what he calls us to. Um, after, after this break, about five, ten minutes, we'll have a time of communion where we're going to partake of the bread and the cup representing Jesus' body and blood that was shed for us and to bring his justice into our lives and the world. Um, but we want to create space where we can really say, okay, God, where am I at with this? What are you speaking to me? Is... Am I looking at your expectations, and have, have I been, like, pushing them off? And it's like, no, God, I'm not going to listen to that part of your expectations for me. And if that's the case, then this is an opportunity to say, Lord, I want to line up with your truth. Not, not what I want, but who you are. Probably for all of us, it's a, it's a place of saying, man, I, I need your grace to change me on the inside. That's really what this is all about, is where we're realizing that Jesus died for us because we can't change ourselves. We can't live justly ourselves. But it's his grace as we trust in him, as we turn from our, our evil ways, our selfish ways, and turn to him, he changes us. This morning, I'm, I'm sure there are, there are relationships the Holy Spirit is bringing to our minds to say, oh, you know what? 
I need to be reconciled with that person. I, either I have something against them, or I think they have something against me. I've, one thing I've, I think has been a reality during our, this time of, of social isolation and distancing is it's just so easy. It's so easy all the time because of our nature and because the devil is the accuser of the brothers and sisters. The devil is always like whispering accusations to us about other people. And the longer you're away from people, the more we can like build a narrative of what they're like and what they're doing and how they feel towards us and kind of like and judge them. And I, I found myself like having a little bit of narrative towards a couple people. And as I've talked to them, I realized that was so not true. Most of that wasn't true, but it, it took the like conversation to, um, to, to nip that in the bud and make sure it didn't go any farther. And so this is an opportunity for us to say, okay, God, who do I need to have that conversation with? Who do I need to just make sure that I'm practicing reconciliation with? And who are the enemies that I need to love? Who are other people that I need to choose to say, I'm going to love this person? I'm going to not just love those that, are, that treat me right, but I'm going to love people that I have a little something towards. So we're going to play a little music here, I think. Um, take a several-minute break. Um, if, you, if you need to use the restroom or something, you can too. But I just want to allow a space at our tables to, to process this. And then we'll come back together and have a chance. If there's something you want to share that God's prompted on your heart, we'll have a space for that. And then we're going to receive communion together. <laughs>